Welcome to a special episode of The Film Frequency where we speak to writer-director Stacey Gregg. We got the opportunity to sit down with Stacey after a screening of her debut film Here Before at the Pavilion Bar in Belfast. The screening was organised by Ormond Community Cinema and supported by Film Hub NI. And everyone at Film Frequency would like to thank them both for allowing us to host this conversation. Please enjoy. Stacey Gregg, thank you very much for co- coming. Um, thank you very much for showing your film. So the first question I really wanted to ask you was, what was it like shooting your first feature film, and specifically um, shooting your first feature film here in your hometown of Belfast? Cracker. So <laughs> is the short answer. Like um, I'd been trying to make work here for years, really. Um, and even when we were developing the film, uh, there was a bit of pressure at one point to to ri- rewrite it for Amer- for an American finance and for American shoot. Um, there was there wasn't a lot of talk of. England it was more America but I sort of had to fight my corner to to shoot here um and I'm so glad I did um and I just knew in my gut you know how I wanted it to feel and the sort of added value of shooting here and then getting to work you know on a feature with the with the crew here who are brilliant Mm -hmm. and and pulling you know talent over and um and especially getting to celebrate those landscapes as well all of that stuff just Delighted with myself. And I believe you shot it um, just before COVID and then edited in um, lockdown. What was that like? Um, so, yeah, we shot just before Christmas and then we were in the edit when everything shut down. Um, and I had to finish the film in from my like little sort of office space, which we, we'd, we hadn't long moved in. So, like, it was just concrete walls <laughs> and, like, uh, my MacBook. Um, but, you know, I don't know, like, there was a real sort of solidarity about it as well because first of all I was grateful to get to finish the film at all because so many productions got shut down completely and didn't really recover um, but also then just working out how to work remotely and get a workflow going um, I just tried to take the best out of that you know and there was actually a sort of I, I suppose there was a value in that break as well because I was able to step back from the film a little bit for a month or two and have a think and come back to it so probably you know pros and cons yeah definitely um i'm moving on to the the cast so we've a really strong central performance by andrea riseborough as um laura can you talk a wee bit about that uh casting choice and how it came about um she's class and <laughs> um i was uh i'm i cut a sizzle when we were trying to raise finance for the film um which is like a little t- a taster, you know, of how you want the film to look and feel. And Andrea Riseborough dropped into it a lot. <laughs> and so when it came to casting, you know, my producers were like, oh, clearly you want someone like Andrea Riseborough. And, we ca- you know, I kept coming back to that. And then we, I remember kind of having had a, like a drink and I'm being on the phone to my producers, like under a lamplight. It was quite a romantic moment. And, and I was like, oh, hey, why don't we just send her an email? And they, <laughs> they were like, well, we've got time, so you know if you know nothing ventured nothing gained so that's what happened i wrote to her and um sent her agent the script and she was on a shoot but she was brilliant and agreed to read it read read it turned it turned around really quickly and she wanted to meet in soho so went over had the chats charmed her obviously (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah she was she was just brilliant and professional and really into it um and then she committed to it really quickly after that so And um, young Neve, who plays um, Megan, and also is it uh, Lewis that plays Ty? And mm. um, what was it like working with those two young actors on a film with such a like a dark theme as well? 
I don't think they really um, were impacted much by the darkness of the film. Like, they both knew what happened in it, although, like, Neve didn't read it. I think her mum read it and then told her, and we talked about it. And Lewis, I think, did read it. Um, but, again, it was a little... I think it was a little bit sort of... Not, not over his head, but just sort of water off a duck's back because he was so excited just about, you know, the whole thing. Um, so I don't think the darkness really bothered them. I think the complexity of the emotional... Um, state of their characters sometimes required uh, a certain approach and they were both well able for that which was one of the things that we were looking for in those auditions and Neve especially for one so young she was just so like with it and like sort of spookily like sassy and, and, and cheeky and cool she was able for anything really she was probably more mature than half our crew <laughs> so um so and, and also she improvised a lot, you know, so you could kind of explore and find what you needed with her uh, in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I loved I loved working with them both, you know. And one thing that I love about the film is like the strong visual style. There's lots of like ethereal shots. And I think my favorite sequence is the dream sequence. Um, what was it like collaborating with uh, DP uh, Chloe Thompson? That one? So when I was looking for um, RDP, Chloe, when I met Chloe, she just responded on a sort of, I always feel a little self-conscious saying this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. She sort of responded on a poetic level to the film and um, her sort of visual response felt really sort of, I uh, just, uh, you know, rich and very much on the same page as me. Um, so that, that, that dream sequence was always in there and we were collecting imagery as we were shooting and Chloe was amazing at, and her team were really good at sort of being ready we would like you know we would get there early in the shoot and the, the weather would be really moody and I'd be like look can we turn over on that like condenser do you know what I mean and, <laughs> and they were like oh and put down their bacon buddies and be like oh yeah you know and so we collected a lot of imagery and the dream sequence was one of the first things we cut when we went into the edit because I could see it I, and and it's funny because even in in development with the script the producers kept saying but what what is it what what is it because it basically in the script it was just kind of like you know a bit poetic yeah. <laughs> um but we found that really quickly and it sort of stayed that way and uh, throughout the, the cut you know while other things moved around and changed so there was something that just felt instinctive i think about that moment um but that was very much helped by the fact that chloe had a great eye you know and was always prepared to you know capture things and tuck them away can you tell us a little bit about the pacing of the film? So the film uh, on, on the page is very lean um, and, and was about, <coughs> I think, about 90 pages. Uh, and I wanted... The, the style, clearly, is quite economic and restrained. Um, so that was really baked into the film. Uh, but it became even more so in the throughout the course of the edit. So there was a lot more material around the kids and at school, for example. But it felt like... Um, it was sort of diluting L Laura, and it, and it definitely became a bit more Laura's story as the as the cut progressed, which I was kind of a bit sad about because the kids were brilliant and funny, but you know, you those are the sort of things you just have to get to grips with in you know in an edit and not be precious. But yeah, I think it I think it was always gonna be a pretty, like you say, t I guess tight, you know, and I never I knew I always knew it wouldn't be over ninety minutes. When it was coming in at like 83, I was like, oh, is it too short? <laughs> but um, no one's complained, so. 
during the writing process, did you um, have a very clear idea of how it would finish, or did you change it about a bit? So there are subtleties to ultimately how it ends now. And in fact, there are really subtle subtleties that I still think about. To, for me, the film isn't, uh, it isn't mutually, the, the supernatural element isn't mutually exclusive to there being a pedestrian explanation. It was always um, desirable to me that there could be multiple interpretations of events. And clearly there are, because Laura in the end doubles down on her position that she's taken all the whole way through. And I don't think the film judges her for that. But f for example, I'll tell you that in the original script, the last image was of Megan by, by Josie's grave. And I slightly regret that that shot didn't make it into the final sequence because I think that it would have nudged people who think that it's all tied up with a pretty bow. It would have nudged them a bit further mm -hmm. away from that and left it a bit more questioning. And there was also a line that Laura had to Brendan, but how would the child have known you were singing? So there were, there were small things that dropped out over the course of the cut and, and a great deal of pressure coming from execs, which is something that you just have to learn to deal with as a first time filmmaker. And I don't tend to regret anything in life, <laughs> but I do sometimes think about the little nudges and what they have meant and the, and the gut feeling in what was originally in that script and what you know may have been may have changed slightly along the way so it's an interesting question that i don't have a simple answer to but uh, the end did undergo a lot of nudging i would say and um, was it intentional to have the setting under uh, cave hill so um it wasn't in the script that that would be the location but it was described and I we knew what we were looking for so um, between our locations manager, our DP, and this, uh, this sort of sense of we wanted the, um, the semi-detached houses in some kind of location that just had a something, that had depth, that was framed by something. Um, and when we started looking around Cave Hill, it just felt so exciting and so um, visually and semiotically rich. And of course, the film sort of has that sort of sense of uh, the uncanny and the unsettled throughout. And the weather that we were getting in December was just like, you couldn't pay for that. <laughs> so, so all of those elements, some of it was serendipitous, but I think that we, we were definitely looking for that. So it was a little bit of both. So uh, how much of Irish folklore um, inspired your writing? Um, it, again, it's, it's not explicit, but like, you know, m I grew up in a house that was like, there's a burden house, someone's gonna die. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I, that is normal. And I love that um, as, a, as a possibility. And I, and the, this, I, I wanted to keep that open. Um, and again, the sort of oblique way of layering into the design of the film, this sort of sense of the uncanny and the unsettled and um, folk possibility. You know, when we were, <laughs> When I was showing the cut to my English execs, that you know the the mad sequence where there is a bird in the house, and uh, you know they were like, but but but, but why what? <laughs> and and uh, and eventually I do. That was the only time I pulled the the director's like, just it's you know it's poetry. <laughs> um, but I I knew in my gut why I wanted it, and it was it was to point towards all of those things, all of that sort of subterranean texture, um, and you know even some of the moments with uh with megan weren't I, I i didn't 
I don't think I make work that wants to spoon feed an audience. So sometimes it's not clear or explicit, and I'm fine with that. I, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's connected to, I don't know, basically the mother and the granny who says, you know, there's a, oh, a feather has fallen out of nowhere, so someone down the street must have died. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I definitely wanted that in the film, but trying to explain it to XX was like, <laughs> <laughs> challenging, but they're, they're, they, they get it now. They're like, uh, okay, we'll let you have it. Can you talk a little about the soundtrack of the film? We, you know, we started working on the, um, on the composition quite early on, and I went after Adam because I saw St. Maud. He'd worked on St. Maud. That was his first film that he'd scored. And although um, it's a very different film in many ways, I could hear the influences on Rose and Adam and they were also influences that I was interested in. So Adam and I, again, we chatted, we met, and very quickly, you know, we seemed to be on the same page. Um, and he worked, he, he would create like a smorgasbord of like sounds um, rather than cut to picture, which I quite like. So then I would play around with them and put them where I felt like they might live. And then he would develop it from there. Um, and it, I absolutely think it is, it, to me, it does feel like another character in the film because although I know people are going to watch this on iPads and laptops, the thing that is most satisfying to me when there are screenings like this is the sound system because so much love and care went into that soundtrack. Um, and then on top of that, there's the, you know, there's the sort of commercial tracks that, that I used on, on top of the composition. Um, and some of those I went into with, like the free design over the dream sequence, and some of them I discovered along the way. Um, but I, th I just think Adam did. I, I love, I love the praise goes to Adam, you know, because he's he did such a beautiful job and was so instinctive, works in such an instinctive way. So Stacey, what are you working on next? Um, I have, I just directed um, a block of a new TV series that's on HBO in a, in the states at the minute, but it's going to be on Sky here um, in July, and that's called The Baby, and it's a comedy horror about a woman who gets a baby and doesn't want it. Um, and the baby's evil. It's a lot of fun. So, <laughs> so look out for it. Um, and then, and now I'm, I'm, I've, I've, I've written a draft, and I'm, I'm with BBC Film again, working on my second feature. So that's that's what's that's what I'm working on at the minute. Well, we'd like to really thank uh, Stacey for coming down tonight, and um, we'll hope that in the future we'll be able to screen more of your work. Uh, in the Army TV cinema. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks so much. <laughs>